Podcast, Episode 23, War of the Worlds, Part 1. Alright gang, we had so much fun doing this War of the Worlds episode, we had to split it in two parts. Stay tuned for Part 2 after enjoying Part 1. Also, do not adjust your settings. You definitely are missing an episode. We are coming back with episode 22 in something special. Because if there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast that dares to imagine sequels to your favorite films and movie franchises. Take a journey into the realm of cinematic possibilities with your hosts, Adam, Jeff, Justin, and Jeremy. Let the adventure begin now. Welcome back to this week's edition of Sequel Quest. We are diving into a world beyond our world. In this week's episode, the 2005 War, War of, the of the Worlds, directed by Steven Spielberg. I do have to mention that there was another one that came out the same year, not the same movie. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I found, actually. The, but I was going to watch that, and I watched the first five minutes, and I was like, this is, this is not the one I want. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, I know. We should have had that discussion ahead of time. Well, let's just get into it right now, by the way. We'll get into the details on this film, but <laughs> what we're talking about is, if you've not heard of this company called The Asylum, it is a movie studio that whenever a big film comes out, they make their own version of it real quick, and they and they push it out straight to DVD so that people get confused, and they pick up this edition, or they do the streaming version, yeah. you know? And uh, like they, they've done like uh, they instead of Transformers they have Transmorphers yeah and there's like four Transmorphers <laughs> films they did the Almighty <laughs> Thor starring Richard Grieco and Big Sexy Kevin Nash of WCW what? fame uh, yes you got we gotta do that one <laughs> that one needs a sequel come no. on no no uh, I, I feel like we could write for the Asylum this should there be our go. audition just you know I'm sure they pay us fifty bucks a script <laughs> they pick up all our ideas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're, they're out out of on all of them. Just yeah. just send the link to the website to the asylum. And... <laughs> but War of the Worlds, guys. Uh, what, this movie came out in two thousand five. I'm I in my understanding to most people, this is just kind of a blah film. Like people, yeah. they don't care enough to hate it. Is basically what it comes down to. No, what, I yeah. hate it. Everybody oh, yeah. I talk to about this movie is like, it's yeah, whatever. Like, oh, what are you guys doing next? Uh, War of the Worlds. Oh yeah, that movie was whatever. Kind of hated it, but it's basically Independence Day, but basically. it doesn't follow the fighter pilot. <laughs> it follows like Tom Cruise, just and some dude, crazy Tim Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, I mean, obviously, you know, Jeremy, uh, you just saw it for the first time last night. I just correct? watched it last night. I'm, I'm wishing I had those three bucks back. <laughs> I got you beat. I watched it this afternoon. So oh, it's fresh. So fresh. You and me are together, brother. Well, oh. well let, me, let me just say, um, you know, when I saw this film, I saw it in theaters. I did not hate it. I thought it was pretty effective. For, for those who don't know even the history of War of the Worlds, before we get into to our full reviews here, but War of the Worlds, based on an H.G. Wells novel from 1898. 
Or you want to go back to the yeah. the beginning of sci-fi. There it is, right there. 1898, this book is written. And it basically, in that scenario, it took place in London. So Martians invaded London and attacked and killed everybody. Well, that still Before technically that happened because they made mention of it in the movie. They right. said London was hit and wiped out, essentially. Yeah. So, I just came up with a brilliant sequel, by the way. Combine... London has fallen with War of the Worlds. Perfect. <laughs> London has fallen. That is a sequel, right? It is in, a sequel itself. to Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, so yeah. just did two sequels. I'm sorry. London Has Fallen is a sequel to... Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> oh, which was a no. sequel to White House Down. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was the asylum it, version it beat, of White House Down. Yeah, exactly. No, Olympus Has Fallen was the better one of the two. Oh, I see. Okay, better, which is why I got a sequel. Okay. Yeah. Was it? But, but yeah. So what we're saying is White House Down was a sequel to Black Hawk like... Down. Yes? <laughs> no. no. Oh, rats. I thought we had it there. <laughs> thought we had cracked the code. No, but anyway, back back to the source material. So yeah, H.G. Wells' novel, most people know it from the famous adaptation from the 1930s that Orson Welles did. Mm. Uh, no relation to H.G. Wells, I don't think, right. but he did a radio dramatization where it was set a, uh, instead an attack on New York and New Jersey. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to this. It's on YouTube. You can listen to the yes. whole thing. It's really cool. It's really hmm. cool. Like 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 they go they yeah. basically present it as a real life radio announcement you yeah know? like you're listening to like like you know dance music of the day and then they interrupt it for these reports just intermittently and then all of a sudden it only becomes reports about this strange you know mm-hmm. crash and all these other things happening like Justin, what was your take on it? What do you uh, what do you listen to that? Oh, or, I just thought it was really up? cool. I mean, it's you listen to it now, and obviously it's dated. You kind of have to listen to it with the idea that, like, okay, imagine that radio shows are the only things I'm seeing right now, and are the only things I'm listening to right now. And I just think it's a really well done, really interesting idea to adapt something in that way. I mean, I know they're doing a lot of radio plays, but the radio plays back in those days were like. They were doing the entire show, you know, characters interacting, and it was very much like, I am listening to a radio play right now, as opposed to this. This was like, if you didn't know, and a lot of people didn't know at the time, and people were freaking out and, like, calling their local police, he fooled everybody until the credits were uh, not rolled but talked. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting is, like, speaking of the police, like, yeah, people called the police, and the police actually stormed the station at the end of the broadcast trying to shut them down, but they were basically already off the air. And then Orson Welles comes on. He's like, by the way. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's like, in case you haven't guessed, this was a radio production. This was not a real (laughs) event we were reporting to you on. The station is still here. Don't worry. Like, it was hilarious. He's like, it's Halloween. We've tricked you. You know, like, it just goes on. It's really interesting to hear the, yeah. the final remarks that he that he provides. Um, but the, also, this is actually the second film adaptation, not counting The Asylum. Yeah, uh, there was one in the 80s, wasn't there? No, no, the 50s. 50s. Yeah, yeah. directed by George Powell, which I believe is what inspired Spielberg. Mm. You know, because well, like, he just loved there- that classic sci-fi. Yeah, there was actually, well, other than Independence Day, which if you think about it, Independence Day is War of the Worlds just with fighter planes. Because, um, yeah. I mean, the same thing, a virus is what saves the day in in Jeff Goldblum brings the virus in Independence Day. Right. But there there was actually a made-for-TV, which is my favorite one. There was a made-for-TV 
War of the Worlds that they actually did as a news broadcast. Really? They, they would, it was back about okay. <clears throat> maybe 97, 98. And what they would do is before, like after every commercial break, there would be a disclaimer that says, this is not actually happening. This is a, you know, a television program. And then they would do a full on news broadcast like it was actually happening. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know about that huh. one at all. So like yeah, so it's it's kind of you know it's got that historical aspect to it. People, re, you know, just remember all of the the different points that it hit people. You know, it's interesting too. The other bit of historical significance with this film is 2005. This was Tom Cruise's last film before his infamous couch jumping incident on the Oprah Winfrey oh. Show, and so like you know, which tainted his box office credibility for several years. I mean, Mission Impossible Three came out after this, but that was in the middle of you know. Tom Cruise is a lunatic, you know, like Cruisegate. Yeah, Cruisegate. <laughs> Speaking of which, great song by uh, Jonathan Colton, <laughs> Tom Cruise Crazy. Go look it up. It's, wow. it's hilarious. It's what? Great. Yeah, it's good. I thought you were going to say Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And I was like, really? <laughs> oh. Be a good career boost for him if he got some type of parody song out there. But, um, but no, so, so yeah, so this is. This is like the last time for a long time that people respected Tom Cruise in a film. You know, depending on your opinion of how it all played out. Of the yeah. film, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> now, Justin, we kind of heard from Jeff and Jeremy. What was your opinion, personally, having seen it? Oh, I, I mean, I, I watched it uh, a couple weeks ago because we've been uh, – we take a break for a while. But um, I, I dug it. I mean, it's fine. It's nothing great. Um, there are a lot of sort of the the – points of the movie where like the sun leaves and then all of a sudden they just have the cold and uh, there's a lot of jumps in it that take me out and and I think I've talked about this before but like the one thing that gets me in movies is something that takes me out of the movie like some giant leap or some hole um, or just if they break a rule that they've set earlier um, uh, so that was frustrating but ultimately I was like yeah it's fine it's you know, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise is always pretty good in everything he does. It's you're watching Tom Cruise and and Dakota Fanning really. I mean, like she was still pretty new. I mean, she wasn't like she hadn't been around for too long. But like, good Lord, like just seeing someone of that age do what she did is like hats off to you tiny human Wait, being like, what did good she job. do what? she screamed <laughs> mom <laughs> dad and the cried, whole time and i believed that she was terrified unlike you see a lot of unfortunately you see a lot of young people and stuff where like they're really scrunched up or like it i just don't believe that they are sad she didn't give an academy award-winning performance i'm not saying that but like <laughs> although i i, I feel believed, like she was she was meryl streep in it given an adequate uh <laughs> i almost felt like she she was almost playing above her age to a certain extent. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, like she, it was a very like professional type of performance we were getting out of this little girl. It was interesting. Yeah. And that always just blows me away. Like you're, a, you're a kid. You're, you're a little child. Like you're supposed to be the, but no, you're a pretty much the, of the mind of a grown up. apparently. <laughs> you know, who does not work for me, unfortunately in this film? Like, honestly, I think everybody is fine. No, Tom, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Like, like Justin said, he's your generic yeah. leading man. He's doing okay. He throws a grenade into the you know tripod and blows up the alien ship. Of course, Tom Cruise can do anything, but 
when I for me it's Tim Robbins. Yeah. I didn't buy him as no. crazy nutso yeah. guy. And part of it is <laughs> I'm just not I'm not a fan of Tim Robbins in general. I know everybody loves like Shawshank Redemption, which I've shamefully never seen. Howard Shamefully the Duck. or shamelessly. <laughs> Hard to say. But Howard the Duck, as mentioned previously, he was he was a real goofy scientist guy in that movie. And from that point on, I have not been able to take him seriously in anything. You know, and I, and I, I could name his films. Oh, the Hudsucker Proxy. He was the dad in Zathura. You know, he was, you know, I'm saying like he's he's done a lot of stuff. But I'm just like Wait, Tim Robinson. Those, those are the movies you're gonna name. <laughs> I have seen Shawshank, but I have seen Hudsucker, and I've seen. <laughs> seriously, come on. Terribly sorry. That that's my Tim Robbins <laughs> reference point. Like... That and, and a girlfriend from high school was a camp counselor to his children. Uh, hit, you know, he's married to Susan Sarandon. She's like, oh, yeah, they would come to camp and pick up their kids. I was like, oh, OK, there's Tim Robbins. Good old guy. OK, I want to talk more about this plot. So where's that <laughs> plot summary? Because. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Well, it's take it away. Thing. It's the funny thing along those lines that like, and it's it's like Justin was saying, and that I, from what I've heard, the number one complaint that people get about this film, at least that I've heard, other than yeah, like you know, wacko Tim Robbins and stuff like that, um, but is also just they found it very unsatisfying that they wanted that you know that moment like at the end of Independence Day where we actually get to like beat up some aliens or something like that. And they're like, seriously, they got colds. That's ridiculous. (laughs) But the funny thing, like, is it, if you, even if you go through it, like he followed the, like the HG Wells novel pretty close. I mean, even to like when they're, they're, they're harvesting blood in order to grow these plants that they apparently eat. That's from the novel right there. Like obviously them catching the disease and then dying. The first line that Morgan Freeman says, and the last line that Morgan Freeman says, are the first and last lines of the novel. So they did actually follow it for good or for bad, fairly close. Yeah, it, it wasn't a blockbuster film, you know, blockbuster novel. That's not what they were writing back <laughs> in the day, and that was, certainly wasn't right. the style. It was a first-person account of an alien invasion, and it just had, didn't, you know, they were annihilated. Essentially, the world was powerless, and they just got lucky. <laughs> the aliens could not handle our our bacteria and everything else. So. Well, and that's that's the whole that's the brilliance of the writing right. is that that's you know, all of the weapons couldn't defeat them, but this cold did. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to throw in just before we jump into the if we are going to be jumping into the plot <laughs> and moving on from here, I did want to throw in one thing that it made me think of in watching this, and it was it was it was kind of this. I guess it's not new. I feel like Independence Day really put it on the map, but it's what I'm I'm I've heard and I think it makes more and more sense the more I hear, hear it to call it disaster porn where it's this really weird idea and every time I hear that it makes me cringe and it just sounds so ugly, but the reality is there's so much truth to it where it's just like, you know, pornography where it gives you that dirty sort of whatever like it's the same thing that people are getting from disaster I'm like going back to Godzilla movies where there's just this dirty like like visceral addiction to watching stuff getting blown up and getting destroyed well yeah and R- roland what... emmerich has made a career of it like you said uh, yeah. independence well, day well, and every film after michael bay yeah michael bay just and that's what they even said if he just takes every childhood memory you've had and blows it up <laughs> well no but, but like really, revenge of the surprised. fallen 
Transformers 3 Revenge of the Fallen, like there's a 45 minute attack on Chicago. Just 45 oh, minutes of I, buildings yeah. getting blown up. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, right. yeah. So I was really surprised I that I just that figured this out were... right now, but apparently I am addicted to disaster porn. <laughs> Those are your favorite films? But, but ev- so was America. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> so does so does everybody. That's why that's why there's gonna be Independence Day 2 for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean like good disaster porn. Well, and you really wonder, like, yeah, it does something. And again, I mean, look at the Godzilla movies. Like you I remember I don't remember if all three of us went, but when we went to go see Godzilla two thousand. Oh yeah, which we were was all together. A throwback <laughs> to the to the like it was still the guy in the suit. And there was just this cheesy like maybe there's a little bit of Godzilla in each of us line. <laughs> but it's it's that level of like watching uh. Godzilla smash buildings has just done it for people for generations. Yeah, it's it's rough. And mm-hmm. I will just say while we're on this topic, you know, one of the main set pieces in this film is the crash of a 747, you know, airplane in a suburban neighborhood, yeah. which works. Right. I mean, that, that's intense. You can imagine that type of fear and freak it out over something like yes. that occurring. Yeah. You're sleeping in bed and all of a sudden a plane crashes next door. And if, I don't know if you guys remember this or have been on the Universal Studios tour in the last 10 years. They have that set as part of the tram tour that you go around huh. the back lot. Right. So they've just got this plane and this like busted up houses with like, and just like, I don't, they don't really have bodies. I think during Halloween they put bodies in, if I remember correctly, but, but. <laughs> no, they put bodies and zombies. Oh, and zombies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but it, so it's just crazy. Like, but like you say, it just, it entices people like, oh, that's something right there. I got to see that. That's woo. So Jeremy, give us that IMDb All plot right. summary. We are going to try this. Mr. Wells, thank you for joining us. (laughs) Ray Ferrier is a divorced dock worker and less than perfect father. When his ex-wife and her new husband drop off his teenage son Robbie and young daughter Rachel for a rare weekend visit, a strange and powerful lightning storm suddenly touches down. What follows is an extraordinary battle for the future of humankind through the eyes of one American family fighting to survive it in this contemporary retelling of H.G. Wells's seminal classic sci-fi thriller written by Major West. We appreciated that, Orson Welles. <laughs> written by the IMDb editors, though, as Earth is invaded by alien tripod fighting machines, one family fights for survival. Yeah, so yeah. Perfect. Yeah, keep it that, simple. Yeah. <laughs> Number two. Um, more or less, as Jeff said, this movie left me wanting more. At the end of it, I was like, I'm two hours in. Where's the ending? Where's the resolution? Yeah, literally like everybody's rushing around, then it's it's over. It's like daylight, and then we see yep. that there's an alien tripod on the ground, and, and it's, it's like, like they died. Oh, you, they just died. You have to wait for Morgan Freeman to wrap it all up. <laughs> That's not good movie telling. Just uh. like sprinkle that in or give us something that would like lead us along. It looked like the aliens just went out in the sunlight and dried up and died. <laughs> Right. Well, but at the same point, like that's kind of how it's written because it's supposed to be shocking in its like abruptness. But you're right. I mean, like as far as movie storytelling, especially if you're doing this like giant explosions, boom, 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 nothing. It, yeah, like it vaporizing people. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, there's yeah gotta something, be something that I think something that I think that Orson Welles did really well is he took it and he adapted it for the radio, and did a really good job of. Actually making people think that – I mean he what he did was a great adaptation for a different medium. 
And I don't mm-hmm. think that this one was a good adaptation for the medium that they chose. Like people would have accepted that it wasn't loyal to the source material if humankind found a way to actually fight back on a large scale. Not one guy with or a Or humankind once. found a way to fight back or they just smoothed. They had a transition that they showed something catching a cold or there was hints of it along the way instead yeah. of just like, now they're dying. Right. Well, and I feel like, and again, that kind of goes back to my question about like, that surprised me is that for something that seemed like a Michael Bay movie, like why would Steven Spielberg do something like this? And don't get me wrong. I mean, he's had his share of flops with crystal skull and whatnot, but it's also this idea of like, Uh. he still has this desire to be artistic. So maybe that was his vision is that he wanted the contrasting dramaticism with the, you know, lackluster end. I don't know. Like I said, it just didn't feel. Well, I, I don't think right that was a choice. Or... I think he was just being loyal to the source material. But I mean, just think about Spielberg has given us like the great alien films, right? Close Encounters at a Third Time, right. Third e. Time, E.T. You know, like like he knows like that's kind of always in his wheelhouse to to give it. So I think this is just him saying, look, I, it's still you know what I do for you as I give you great alien films. He just was so you know so loyal that it kind of. Like Justin said, it wasn't what we were expecting. I honestly walked out of the theater thinking they were setting us up for a sequel. Like I, oh. two years later, that's, that's I was like, also where I no was sequel. I I was well, wondering if they'd done one yeah. or if they were trying to because they just left it at like nothing. Yeah, but I mean, it's a standalone story, and I mean, now we could say the politics of Tom Cruise's career. Is there a sequel else. book? <laughs> yeah. Well, Is no, because it ends. They're all dead. Yeah. Well, it's funny, actually, along those lines, though, I remember back when I was, I read a whole bunch of books back when I was a, a, a preteen, and they had this whole series that weren't written by H.G. Wells. They were like teen fiction, which was kind of like, I think it was assuming that they didn't die. So it was basically living in the world of the tripods where the human race were slaves to these tripod machines. And they did like a whole Hunger Games sort of a like, you know, rebellion and everything like that yeah and they made several books that i i read them all and i don't know how good they were in hindsight but (laughs) time (laughs) well the one thing i'll just say you know plot structure aside whatever they the failings of the film the one thing that i feel like spielberg really nailed was the mass hysteria of such an event like for me like in most disaster movies it's just faceless people running around screaming they get vaporized wherever buildings fall on them but in this case, like what really struck me about this film when I saw it and actually put fear in me, it wasn't the aliens. It wasn't, you know, it was Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins performance. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> it, it was that scene where they're, where, you know, because just for those who haven't seen it, all cars, like all electronic devices suddenly do not work. It's when, an EMP. Essentially. Yeah, there's the EMP that knocks everything out. But Tom Cruise is able to jury rig his his minivan to be the only functioning. No, it's vehicle. not even his minivan. <laughs> his brother, his brother That's does true. walking Some by his minivan. brother and his brother is trying to fix this. And yeah. He tells him, oh, change out the solenoids. Oh, it works now. Okay, well, I know you were working on that car, so I'm going to take this, and we are getting out of town. <laughs> Got to protect his, his kids. But but when when they pull up to this area where it's like the docks, where people are trying to get on ferries and stuff. Horrible idea for Cruz. Yeah, like. it, it, was a, it was a poor choice. But when he pulls in, like, there is just this mob of people that turn into animals. Like, there's so much, like, fear and hatred and whatever's happening. And they literally are breaking through the windows, dragging the children out. Like, to me, like, that was 
was the most frightening thing because that's real. Like aliens, all those monster movies, I never get scared. But people behaving like monsters, that really happens. And that I always feel like we're two steps away from the breakdown of society. So like I Well, we've already seen scared. it. It's called Baltimore. Okay, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it only takes like a, a group of people to get something started and then you got a riot you got whatever happening so for me like that was like okay spielberg you got me there like that that was scary well uh on on that note i mean <laughs> we we all got that off of our chest so let's get into the pitches let's see if we can come up with a sequel to this because i don't want a sequel i don't just let this go leave it in the past justin start us off all right, man. So the one thing about the movie that really frustrated me was that the son leaves and then he comes back and he's fine. And so uh, my title is War of the Worlds Infection or War of the Worlds Vengeance or War of the Worlds Robbie's Journey because why did we not get to see that? Uh, so we start on Ian, a young boy in a hospital bed, his parents by his side. The doctor explains to the parents that Ian fainted because he has a rare blood disease. This blood disease drastically reduces the effectiveness of his white blood cells and therefore his ability to fight off infection. Ian takes in this information with a blank, dead stare. Later on at home, his parents try to console him, but he can't hear them. He can only hear the lightning that is visible from the window behind them. After the credits, we see Robbie the Sun where he left us in the last movie, running towards the battle between the military and the aliens. Planes flying overhead, jeeps blowing up around him, and all the while the aliens are protected by force fields that no bullet or missile can get through. One soldier near Robbie drops his weapon, and Robbie picks it up. He begins to fire wildly at the invading horde, but to no avail. After he finishes what ammunition is left in the gun, he desperately searches the ground for another weapon, but is knocked off his feet by a nearby explosion. He looks up to see a tripod leg overhead ready to crush him, but is instead snatched off the ground and thrown into a military truck. The truck and Robbie leave the field just as the entire battle is engulfed in flames. The last thing he sees is a soldier being drained of all his blood by one of the smaller tripods. After the battle, Robbie meets what is left of the military in the Northeast, a small band of those who have survived battles in the surrounding area. They are not able to communicate with outside forces and therefore cannot coordinate a new attack. Robbie learns of a plan that the self-proclaimed new leader of this group, General Hendricks, has formed. Having seen soldiers drained of their blood and with intel of a human harvesting center where the aliens collect the blood and use it for food and fertilizer, the ad hoc general plans on sacrificing the sick to infect the aliens' blood supply, a plan that does not sit well with most of the soldiers. A group of patients that Hendricks has collected from local hospitals is brought out in handcuffs, one of which is Ian. The group makes for the harvesting center, and along the way, Ian is saved by Robbie in a battle that leaves five soldiers and Ian as the only patient left. The remaining, soldier, uh, the remaining soldiers grow more and more uneasy with the plan, and Robbie and Ian begin to bond and change each other for the better. Robbie's singular rage against the aliens is broken by his compassion for Ian, and Ian's self-pity is changed by Robbie's drive for vengeance. At the end of the story, as Hendrix is about to slit Ian's throat over the alien's collected pool of human blood, Robbie kills Hendrix and saves Ian. But as they are about to escape, Ian turns back and sacrifices himself. Robbie is left to watch his friend being drained as another soldier carries Robbie to safety. Ooh. <laughs> so in other words, your movie is the third act that we never got. Right. So <laughs> what we should have gotten. Interesting. Okay. Wow. That's, that's what I want. Like, that's... I wanted to know, like, I wanted to see... How did they get infected? What started it all? Did, yeah, like, yeah, right. Everything I missed from it, I'm like, I show me that. So I was like, that I would totally, I would totally watch that movie. Obviously, 
uh justin chatwin probably wouldn't play uh, <laughs> his teenage self since he's probably in exactly. his 30s or something 10 years old yeah interesting okay yeah. wow so, yeah, that, that's awesome but, so it's almost um, like yeah. uh rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead like this is what yeah. was happening in between exactly. yeah <laughs> yeah or lion king one and a half yeah <laughs> Nice. Wait, I'm sorry. Was that a thing? Yes, it was. Right. Yeah, for it real. Was their version of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! They, they cool. did a Lion King too, and then they were like, "Yeah, let's go back to the original characters." <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what do you have for us? All right, I'm up. So I went uh, kind of in a different direction because I'm the same way with you, Jeremy. Where I felt like it's over. Like there's no sequel. If you're gonna bring them back again, it it somewhat defeats the point. However, that being said, and I'll explain why I get a, a pass a little bit because of like having a second idea. The one thing that I thought would be interesting. This is not my main idea. I just want to throw it out there. Is that I've never seen a sequel to an apocalyptic movie as a post-apocalyptic movie. It would be a completely different movie and it probably would be really boring from people wanting to see explosions and everything like that but it's just kind of like a movie about rebuilding after the tripods have killed you know three billion people or whatever they did like well, i think that would be interesting isn't that planet of the it, apes well but that's not that's <laughs> descending into whatever but like how do we? I mean, that's that's one of the things which maybe someday we'll get into the Postman. But right. that was one of the things I loved about the Postman because the Postman was all about rebuilding this world as opposed to you know it slipping into madness. So, but anyway, my idea though instead, and that's the reason that I say that is because my idea is a reboot rather than a sequel. I would vote for a reboot. So storyline wise, I would go uh, a very very similar story. However, I do agree with what Justin said that. One of the things that makes this, not the story so much, but it makes this concept so historical is the fact of what that that uh, Orson Welles version did is the fact that like you know as a radio broadcast it transcended the media of radio where people actually believe that it was true and it was such a huge big thing that like yeah it, it was bigger than the actual medium so I don't think people are going to fall for that again and even if they did I think it would be because I, I even thought like how interesting would it be to try and stage something like this but it would not go well and you know, like last time, the National Guard got all up in arms. If they got up in arms this today, like, oh, it would not go. <laughs> but instead, my thought, uh, I had two different ideas for a reboot. Uh, again, I love the same idea where uh, it starts, you know, the aliens coming down, and uh, they just start decimating everybody everywhere and everything. And um, that same sort of a thing, like the horror of the fact that they drain the blood. I thought in the movie the little vine things were a little weird-looking, Um like trying to transform it into Mars, I guess. So maybe not some of the, something like that, but that horror replaced by just the like, oh my gosh, that's it? They just like, we couldn't beat them with everything, but we could beat them with the disease. Um, however, what I would want to do, my first idea was um, basing it off of something like, if any of you guys saw Life in a Day, which was the YouTube movie that uh, Ridley Scott made, where it's all of these YouTube videos that they cobbled together to make one big movie. So that would be my first idea. So what if instead we do the entire story, but it's shot from a YouTube perspective. So it's all selfies and it's all this sort of stuff like that. And it's, Maybe it's a completely different story, and all of a sudden, in the background of someone's selfie, you start seeing the aliens. And then, as it's going on, you know, you get these people, and you get everything like that. So that way, it's kind of told from a more 
viral, no pun intended. Very, very uh, found footage style. Kind of like a found footage, but a modern found footage, like Periscope. I mean, I guess you do more live broadcasting on Periscope. Something like that, where it's jumping all over the place. So it's kind of like telling the story. We get to see, uh, you know, a video of somebody who's holding, you know, their cell phone in Moscow and someone that's in Nebraska and someone that's in, you know, Brazil. Um, so that was my first idea. But then the second idea, so again, same storyline, but a different concept. The second idea, and this one, and I don't know if any of you guys noticed it because it's Justin, you might have, because I know you're, you know, kind of in the film industry. One of the things my wife has always pointed out for me is long shots. She loves yeah. long shots because of the complexity. There's one specifically at the beginning of this movie where he's driving in the van and she starts screaming. And if you watch the camera, it's one shot that starts with them and then pans up away. And, like, the way they had to do that, they had to have, like, a – I'm not even sure how they would have filmed that. Like, it would have been crazy. So for something along those lines, my thought was to do the entire movie from a GoPro perspective. So it's somebody wearing a GoPro, and I would, I would think it would be so bold and crazy to do it, like, maybe not all one long shot – but almost that way. So it's like this entire time there'd be so much of just like running. And it's just like your camera is bouncing along with this. And it's all done from this person's perspective of the GoPro, seeing the people's faces like face to face and everything like that, giving much more of that. This is actually real sort of a sort of a feel to it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so less about the story, more about the execution on your side. Exactly. Because yeah. for me, again, source material is beyond reproach, I think. I mean, like, I, I, I would love to see this source material done even better. Because, I mean, our, story, but. our technology has doubled and tripled since they yeah. did this movie. So. Right. Well, and actually, I, that, that reminds me. I did have a third. And again, I, that, that was why I added the little proviso that I felt good about throwing a bunch of ideas because I'm not adding any script ideas because I want to keep the same story. So the third one that I had was to somehow do like stage it, but not stage it kind of like actually have real YouTube videos of people like maybe even like do a Sasha Baron Cohen thing where you're surprising people with a, a like an alien or something like that and to get their actual reactions. I mean, you might get a lot of trouble for doing something like that, but that would be interesting if you could do that and make it even more real. That would be a little mm. interesting. There are a lot more shows going to those longer takes, mm. like Daredevil on Netflix. They've got the one hallway scene that is just amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Technically, there are apparently yeah, there are really cool cuts. There that, are but cuts, you, but you wouldn't know it, like the way it's. They're shown. artistically cut. Yeah. I mean, they shoot it all in one take. Right. Yeah. and they did it two or three times in a day, and then they just made artistic cuts yeah but no but yeah it's a it's a very interesting point you bring up jeff yeah just the the drama that it can create and how it can pull you in yeah that's cool have any of you guys seen the revenant yet nope no okay they have that that director uh also did birdman and he does a lot of birdman is pretty much all in one shot and so i think uh, I really like Jeff's idea because I'm I'm the same way uh, as Judy is. I really enjoy that. And so the Revenant starts out with maybe two or three shots that are all maybe I want to say like a half cover a half an hour, um, and a few of them are a battle sequence, and you are just there watching, going from person to person, and seeing how it's all sort of playing out. 
Um, it's very strategically done, but it's all happening. It is all one shot. There is no artistic cut. And so that would be really interesting. Um, I would say, though, that like Cloverfield going up and down and bouncing around with somebody that's holding a camera um, that makes a lot of people want to vom. So that's true. maybe, yeah, uh, that's true. Not the you, jumping up and down part. You would but, turn some people they have off a lot with of that. Really, yeah, they have a lot of those steady cams that you can have. It doesn't need to be somebody holding it, but can be following one person or one family through that whole journey all in one shot would be amazing. Mm-hmm. That would be crazy. Yeah, I mean, they've got all sorts of steady cams and things to where you could even shoot it off your phone, like have it from the perspective of the family. Somebody's always shooting video kind of thing because they're trying to survive. And the only changes it would have would be it would change perspective from one character to the next throughout. Yeah. Adam, you're looking at me funny like you got a good idea for this. <laughs> oh, I had a lot of fun putting my pitch together. It's been 10 years since the Martian invasion of the Earth, which devastated major cities around the globe. Most metro areas have been rebuilt and the status quo has been restored, though for the surviving family of the last film, it's been hard to move past these traumatic events. Ray went back to work at the docks but suffers from PTSD related to being harvested by the alien tripods is eventually fired and moves in with his brother in Phoenix, Arizona to recover. His daughter, Rachel, now 18 and attending Arizona State University, is a real wild girl. She parties her nights away trying to sleep as little as possible so she doesn't have to endure the nightmares of the Martian invasion. Rachel also attends a support group for others who fear the return of the aliens, whose mantra is, fear is the enemy, the air is a friend to me. Referring to the germs in the atmosphere which halted the original invasion. Ray's son, Robbie, has joined the military and is part of a task force specially trained and at the ready should another invasion occur. Robbie's unit constantly monitors any sites where lightning is struck and scan the earth beneath to ensure that no visitors are found within. Robbie longs to be part of the tactical invasion team which will fight, which use weapons derived from the alien technology. Unfortunately, Robbie is constantly turned down for the advancement since it is believed that the evasion will never occur and his superior officers don't feel the need to grow their ranks. There have been no reports of organic material identified in the sweeps done by Robbie's team in the last decade until after one particularly violent thunderstorm in the Arizona desert, it reveals a Martian tripod which rises from the earth yet again. The tactical team is called in and successfully brings down the tripod, then floods the cockpit with water to kill the Martian pilot within. But they're in for a surprise. A new kind of alien bursts forth from the wreckage, one that looks like a roided-out E.T. the extraterrestrial, and pummels the soldiers, destroying their weapons, which has no effect on the creature. Robbie barely manages to escape, racing off into the desert in a Hummer. In the rear view, he sees more tripods rising from the desert, stand, desert sand, trying to radio his base, he finds finds there is no response. Eventually arriving to the side of the base, Robbie finds that it has already been destroyed. He stockpiles as many undamaged weapons as he can while taking to the highway toward his father and sister as worldwide uh, radio broadcasts begin coming in reporting the attacks. He tries to call his family but has no cell phone reception. Meanwhile, the President of the United States is taking a meeting with military leaders, getting reports of the destruction, informed that their entire defense system is useless since the new invaders do not appear to be Martians. The President asks for solutions. Just then, a man in black arrives to the meeting. 
It's Dr. Ian Malcolm, who has spent the last 10 years <laughs> heading a national defense advisory board to help predict methods of invasion using the chaos theory and other scientific ideas. The president is frustrated with Malcolm, asking, how could they have been so unprepared for another invasion? Malcolm responds, uh, Mr. President, this, this isn't an invasion. It's, it's revenge. It's extinction. Malcolm explains that they spent all their time anticipating attack like the first, the same methods, the same intentions, stating we were reactionary, not retaliatory. We never accounted for these beings being vindictive, so we never took the fight to their front door. Well, well now they're back with hired guns, and they're not taking the ball and going home. They're burning down the stadium. Meanwhile, Elliot Taylor, a former member of Malcolm's committee who quit after claims of having had an actual alien encounter as a child led him to being labeled uh, mentally unstable, recognizes that the invaders are similar to the form of his childhood friend whom he shared a psychic bond with. Elliot has spent the last 40 years trying to create the means to communicate with alien races in an attempt to enable some type of interstellar diplomacy and, prevents, uh, and to prevent attacks such as the Martian invasion. Elliot finishes deciphering a warning message from space that arrived in a series of repeating tones that claimed to be from someone named Roy. It foretold of his, this attack, and a new message is arriving that provides schematics for a weapon. Elliot calls Malcolm on his cell phone and tells him he can help and will forward the plans. But just as he downloads the schematics to an external hard drive, his power goes out. At the same time, Robbie's Humvee runs out of gas in front of Elliot's bunker. He gets a cell phone reception. He calls Ray, his father, who has stolen his brother's car and is driven to the ASU campus to rescue his daughter. They agree to meet in Phoenix. Elliot finds Robbie outside, and using his reserves to gas up the Hummer, the two take off for civilization to connect with his family and find some solid Wi-Fi. Back in Washington, Malcolm tells the president that he may have a lead on a weapon but has lost contact with the source. Meanwhile, the location faring best in all this madness is the former site of Jurassic World, where the dinosaurs who have faced extinction before and obviously aren't ready to let history repeat itself are keeping the aliens at bay. The thunder lizards are tearing apart tripods and devouring aliens left and right. As much as he hates to admit it, Malcolm may need to involve the creatures who have twice tried to make him lunch. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't keep a straight face anymore. Okay. The president gets a line to Owen Grady, survivor of both the Jurassic World incident and the Martian invasion, who was given free reign by the government to keep the dinosaurs on the island and develop a method to better control them. His research has found that each dinosaur was actually uh, grown and programmed with a radio control frequency that allows them to be directed by remote control, though Grady has kept it under wraps. <laughs> Not wanting the government to use them as soldiers. Owen is told that specially equipped cargo planes and aircraft carriers are coming to pick up the dinosaurs for combat, which he accepts as necessary for the survival of the planet. Ultimately, the di dinosaurs are unleashed in battle zones across the world, and when the aliens are decimated, the beasts are radio-controlled by Owen and Malcolm to return to their transports, with occasional stops at zoos for feeding. This works for a time, but the government realizes they can't get the dinosaurs everywhere required to stop the attacks. So they need a more substantial weapon. Eventually, Elliot and Robbie meet up with Ray and Rachel in Phoenix, which is under siege. They find an internet cafe where they send the plans to Malcolm, who manages to send the schematics to the world leaders and their militaries. The weapon turns out to be a series of high-pitched tones that will break apart the cellular structure of the aliens. <laughs> 
Alien, uh, sorry, Elliot gets ready to test it on a fallen invader who is near death, but his first, he does a mind meld with the creature that reveals that the green planet of the E.T. race was being held hostage by the Martians, who chose to conquer this race because they had been to the planet before, built up an immunity to the Earthbound germs. So the natives were then mutated to be killing machines and sent down by the Martians to attack. The frequency does work, but also turns out to be an amplified version of what controls the dinosaurs and kills them, too. As the tones sound worldwide, the new invaders and dinosaurs all collapse upon the surface of the Earth, and the world is safe once more. In the aftermath, <laughs> Ray, Rachel, oh, there's and Robbie, more. There's, wow. yeah. uh, there, there's the very end. Okay. We, we, we're not disappointing you like the original film. There's right. multiple hang on, endings. Hang on. <laughs> In the apps, Ray, Rachel, and Robbie find new courage and purpose in helping the world to recover from the second invasion, running support groups and volunteering at soup kitchens. Elliot works with Malcolm to send out messages of peace to other races throughout the universe with the help of the mysterious Roy, who turns out to be the Richard Dreyfus character from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah, communicating like with you got it. All right. <laughs> They also reveal plans to the president for a reversal of the lightning strike space travel system. Then one less peaceful message is sent out loud and clear to the Martians. We're coming for you as credits roll. Which pitch will win out? In the end, no one knows. Hang on for part two coming at you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. ITunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 